0: Mr. Walton, did you make contact with aliens? Were you taken to another planet, to a mothership?
1: How did they communicate with you? Can you tell me what they look like?
2: Can you tell
1: me how many of them there were? Were Were you given food? But the teachers are alive. They're not books. They are the very living essences of nature itself. Unbelievably powerful supercomputer that's running our reality and we don't have a clue as to how to operate it. So when maybe you or somebody else creates an AGI system and you get to ask her one question, what would that question be? What's outside the simulation?
3: Say in your mind,
1: say to yourself, I am more than my physical body, because I am more than physical matter. I can perceive that which
3: is greater than the physical world. State near the Great Lake, it's sliding the void. I'm your host, Joe Root. We're live on the Fringe FM. December 9th on into the 10th. I believe it's hump day. You guys want to join us over in the chat room? It's the fringe.fm forward slash chat room. We're having a fun time over there. We're starting the revolution. Come on. Call a number for tonight is 1-800-588-0335. The show comes on five nights a week. Right now, the time is 9 p.m. Pacific to 11 p.m. Pacific. You're just joining us for the first time been doing this for some time. We're almost like 650 episodes in. If you want to support the show after you listen, if you like it, please do. I want to thank Brett for joining the Patreon too. So we're almost up to like 50 now and it's just climbing, right? So we got more patrons, more void, void walkers coming out of the woodwork. And uh, I did a thing today. It snowed like crazy here just for a little bit, like two inches, three inches of snow. was like snow like crazy for me, but, um, I did a thing. I did a snow sigil. Did a Voidwalker snow sigil, and I said the first person, for some reason, I, I guess I assumed it snowed everywhere because it was snowing here. And I said the first person that puts a Voidwalker sigil on the snow, I'm going to give a free T-shirt to. <laughs> and Night Stalker, that should have totally been you, man. You get snow all the time. You should have had that. Dan, somebody. But Brax got it. Brax totally, totally got it. So, <laughs> I don't know where he got the snow from, but he got like a handful of snow and then made an LTV logo out of sticks and leaves, and it's, it's awesome. So, I'm going to be putting that on social media for sure and uh, sending you out a shirt. Make sure you take a picture. Like, if you get an altar box or a shirt or whatever, take pictures, man, because we put y'all's pictures all over the website, all over social media. Like, we love showing you off. Okay, so you can contact the show at 501 777 via text. You can also leave a shout-out on the Fringe FM app. You can use Alexa, Google Play, the iTunes App Store. There's pretty much everywhere you can listen. we got some new streams coming up. There'll be a whole bunch of streams, actually, with the new website. Tons. There will be no reason for you to have a way you can't listen. So, um, pretty interesting day today, but other than the snow and making magic sigils in the snow. And by the way, yeah, if you're curious, because I get asked this all the time, yeah, the Walker sigil definitely does mean something. But if I tell you what it means, then it just kind of takes the magic away, right? You got to look at it. Just stare at it. Stare at my sigil. Deeply. Don't even blink. Just stare as long as you can. <laughs> like, do it for me. Okay. Um, I think that we brought this up yesterday. I think alternate perspectives are so important that when we get polarized, sometimes the poles of things that we look at both need to be taken into consideration. For example, on this show, we talk about science and spirituality quite a bit. You always kind of notice, though, when you listen that there are people that they don't, you know, they, they get kind of, uh, if they're super spiritual, they like to bad talk science. Or If they're super scientific, uh, you know, a lot of the spiritual stuff they'll call woo-woo. But maybe the truth lies somewhere in between. Bridging science and spirituality and consciousness. And there is a theory called unified field theory. Which some people believe is like a map of God or UFT. Like it's a type of field theory. It's usually thought of as fundamental forces and elementary particles. And I think if you look at Wikipedia, it'll say that it's elementary, elementary particles to be written in terms of a pair of physical and virtual fields. So it's physical and virtual but that these forces are transmitted directly between these just interlacing objects. So it's a pretty complex thing if you look up unified field theory. Matter of fact, it'd probably be easier when you look it up just to go to images on Google. It's a lot to read about it. I can pick it up by looking at images quick. But Wikipedia describes unified field theory as it's described as interrupted by intermediary, uh, intermediary Entities called fields. It's funny how they call them entities, right? But traditionally, it's been like known as a duality of fields and combined into a single physical field, a unified field. So, does that have everything to do with our consciousness or superconscious or the field? I don't know if you've seen that movie with Will Smith, uh, The Legend of Bagger Vance, where he talks about he's in the field or when you play basketball with somebody and they get in the zone and they can't miss, there is kind of a field that you tap into.
4: But this has been researched since like Einstein. And
3: when you look at the theory of relativity and you look at electromagnetism and the great theory of everything, the grand unified theory, all these different theories, They all have a relation to a unified field. They're all kind of different though, right? It's kind of like when they start looking for dark matter. They get into all the corks and this stuff and they're always looking for dark matter, but there's always something that it's like the main subject, a unified field. So I guess it makes me think about is this really what God is? You know, cause we were talking about, we, I did a rant yesterday about, you know, blaspheming the father, the son, but you can't blaspheme the Holy spirit, the thing that connects everything. And, um, I wonder sometimes, seriously, I mean, do we have any perception of this? Like f- people that study physics, I think it's really cool to talk about physics, but The laws of physics seem to change all the time. So, I mean, have we already, like, have our perceived limitations of physics, even physics, even quantum physics, already been broken and surpassed? And if that's the kind of thing we should really be asking ourselves, right? Like, I don't care how complicated or intelligent something is or how many scientists have studied it. The fact that scientists are are studying it should tell you that they don't know. And you should ask these questions too. What usually happens is people start talking about quantum physics and we get all like intimidated and we think, well, they know, I don't really know. Instead of reading, you know, because you can learn about it. And then we can go down the conspiracy road, right? Is the government and scientists, the mad scientists, are they holding back information about how the universe operates? Do they really know something that we don't? There's enough strange phenomena out there to say that they definitely do, somebody does. I just want I guess what I'm trying to say is is this is a complicated subject. Unified field theory, physics, quantum physics, fascinating subject if you get into it actually. You could talk about it for hours, it's fun. But don't let it intimidate you and don't let it be something just because uh, people know what they're talking about that you can't ask your questions when you don't understand something. Because most of the time when you meet a physicist, right, and you talk to them, they love to answer your questions. doesn't matter. There's no stupid questions to them about this stuff. So our guest uh, tonight is going to be coming on Mark he's, uh he's been studying Einstein's unified field theory ever since hearing about it when he was 10 years old. And he's worked in the tech industry. He's worked with IBM. He talks about how the universe works. Fascinating guy. He's going to be coming up, too. We're going to be talking about that. But time and time again, we talk about this on the show. What unites us? Yeah, you've even heard, like, Nutstalker talk talk about water in a way because water, that element seems to tap into a lot of spiritual stuff. But it all connects, right? And if you get into the occult, and this is where I, like, really get fascinated with stuff because the scientists now, even the quantum physics, uh, physicists, they're explaining a lot of how magic works, psychologically even if they go down that road, and physically even sometimes. Through sound, vibration, nature, and all that stuff, right? And you can really put things together. And then, if you really, really want to go down an even deeper rabbit hole, because the rabbit hole don't stop there, then you start studying things like sacred geometry, the Kabbalah, gematria, and you say, "Holy hell, we're not we're not just living in a code. We're living in a very complex but perf- like perfect." field of number and creation and it's perfect and complicated all at once super complicated anybody that's had a psychedelic trip probably knows exactly what I'm talking about right now you can't explain it when you see into the construct of things but that doesn't mean that it takes uh, the spiritual side of it away Does it? Does that have to mean that? Does it even have to mean that if for some reason we do end up being biotechnical beings that have a superconscious, does that mean that like, we're not spiritual or that wasn't the divine plan? Like, We don't know these things. All we know is our ancient scrolls and what they've told us and what we feel on our insides and the little that we gather from our own practical conscious exploration that we should never stop doing. I don't, I have a, I have a hard time uh, trying to have conversations with, with people sometimes when I ask them, well, what do you do to explore your own consciousness other than feed your intellectual brain, which is a form of conscious exploration, but what are you, what are you doing that's a little outside of the norm? Back in the day, meditation used to be woo-woo. It's not. It's like... Super common now. It's just like a pair of Uggs. Everybody's meditating now, right? Magic's starting to get to that point. Everybody's practicing magic now. We shouldn't stop there, though. There are other forms of this that I like to talk about, too. I talk about sacred sexuality a lot. The reason why I never bring that, You want to know why I never bring that subject up? Because the second I say it, most people start thinking of the physical act of that. And that's it. And that is like the, I mean, that is the, it's not the lowest form. Let's just say it's like the form that happens in Malkuth. But it is like, it is the thing that constructs everything.
4: All of this stuff runs together.
3: We have so many definitions of spirituality that we've boxed ourselves in, I believe, from actually experiencing what it truly is. Because I don't think any of us really know what it is, totally. If I'm being honest with you, I hear a lot of people talk as if they know. But really they're talking based on all of the information that they've put together and they've connected the dots in their head and they talk about it and That's good. That's great. But you got to test that stuff. That's what conscious exploration is about. If you want to do the conspiracy stuff, tell me how reality works. Then go test it. Be a detective. Don't be afraid to astral travel. Don't be afraid to practice magic. Don't be afraid to test the boundaries of depth and love and all this stuff and try to figure out who are we, where we come from, what's this about. Everybody has a role to play in this, whether you believe it or not. I really think everybody does. I mean, I think it's time that we stop allowing our perceived limitations to create our reality, because that's exactly what I believe it's doing. That's my theory. That the only reason why we're in this mess to begin with, with, like, COVID, the disconnection, the uncertainty... We're not even having fun like we used to, hardly. I think it's because of our perceived limitations, period. What we perceive as limits that aren't really limits, not really. But we make them that way in our head, don't we? I guess what I'm trying to say is like, if the laws of physics can change every 20 years, if that can change, and I don't even know if that's true. I just hear that a lot. It's probably not exactly every 20 years. But if that can happen, then what about the limits that we tell ourselves? How how is that even real? It's not real. Hmm. I really think that we're limitless beings. I'm not saying you can take off tomorrow and fly. But maybe the only reason why you can't take off tomorrow and fly is because you live in a unified field that has been created by a superconscious of humans
4: with limited perception.
3: That's got to change, right? How do you change limited perception? You have to be open. You have to be curious. You have to stop telling ourselves that we know everything or that we know something. Like, it's okay to know things. But even when you know things, I think you should go, well, well, do I really know? You know. One, one, just one, I promise. Real out-of-body experience. Like a real one. Not one that you're not sure is if it's a dream or not. Like a real one. And you'll start questioning everything. That's right, Brax. Astral projection should be the hobby. That, that's exactly right. So we've been talking about this stuff since spirituality came about, since the 60s and 70s, right? We're all one. Everything is one. I don't know. I mean, yeah, and of course, I mean, that has to be true. In some form or fashion, we're all connected to something. But I don't think it's as simple as that. I think it's complicated, just like we are. I mean, think about you, your body right? You're all one thing, right? Like you, the person that's got your headphones in or whoever, wherever you're at right now, you know, your name, you know how you feel, you know how you perceive the world, you know what your body looks like, you know, everything right about you. And it feels like one thing in your little tower, but you are made up of some of the most complex systems that have absolutely nothing to do with each other. And even, in some ways contradict each other but have been put together in such a perfect way. I don't see how you can't see the divinity in that. You have all kinds of nasty bacteria that you can't see that it's supposed to be there. You know, I can go down the road of all of the systems in your biology. I don't have to do that. Your cellular structure, your molecular structure... They still have not mapped out consciousness in the brain and don't even know what parts of it are. They, they know a lot more about it now, but you don't see the perfection in the complexity is what I'm saying. And if you can see that, just that about you, that you think you know so much about yourself, then what the hell do we know about reality really and everything else? Now, I'm not trying to perplex you and get you to go, well, hell, we're never going to know. Screw it. Let me get a beer in the fridge. That's not my point. Although that would be cool right now. Beer, eggnog, whatever you want to do. The point is, is like the fun part, the journey, is the thought of the unified field theory that's made up of complex systems or dualities, physical, virtual, et cetera, however you want to look at it. Because when you see that, then you realize everything is possible. And when everything becomes possible, you're not a victim. Like, you can do anything. Look at the placebo effect. People can change their diseases, how they feel, their psychological states, disorders, just being around different energies, just being... Just because they believe they took a sugar cube, that ought to
4: tell you we've trapped ourselves.
3: And I think sometimes, like I laugh at people that smoke a lot of weed. I don't know, it's like Graham Hancock. Remember him talking about that? I used to just smoke doobie after doobie but you you know you you know why he did that i think i think is because he started thinking about all this stuff and it was so perplexing to him and he wanted to express all of this and he i mean he probably had to smoke that much weed to chill himself out so he could figure a creative way to express it and he became one of the best authors in the world you know but someone that has a limited perception would like walk down the road and look at him and be like, look at that pothead. They don't even know him.
4: Nightstalker says, you can buy
3: weed eggnog called weed nog. That's awesome, bro. By the way, I drank some eggnog today. Just like I told you I would in a wine glass. Like I, it was beautiful, but I think it made me sleepy. Like seriously... Don't drink too much eggnog. I think mean, you can become like instantly diabetic from drinking that stuff. So our guest that's coming up, Mark, he's been, like I said, he's been obsessed with Einstein's unified field theory ever since hearing about it. He's also worked in like uh, for IBM. And this guy, I really want to hear how he's, how he thinks the universe works. And this is all based on his research of unified field theory how it relates to consciousness, UFOs even, technology, and all the information that we receive about NDEs. That's what we're going to talk about. It's going to be a pretty deep show, actually. We're going down a rabbit hole tonight. We're not going to sit around and Joe's not going to read uh, food recipes tonight. Although we might do that. We might do that one night, let's say like sometime right before Christmas, I might just read recipes, and do Christmas music. (laughs) I don't know. I forget who said that in the chat. They said you should do a cooking show or something and just read recipes. Make sure you guys go check out the shop at lightingthevoid.com. You're missing out because there's only like um, a couple of weeks left to get the altar box. There's a couple running out there right now. And, and I want to build this egregore of altar boxes, by the way. The more, the more of us that have them. And please, if you're thinking right now, Joe's just trying to sell me something. Yep, you're right. But I'm trying to sell you something that's cool. It's like if Constantine had a tool to walk around with, this, this would be it. You got 50 bucks off the thing right now until New Year's. Lighting the stove and cooking the void. That's right. Um, You can grab a Lighting the Void t-shirt, too. I'm going to keep coming up with cool stuff so when you guys do support the show, you get something of value for it. Like, I'm doing that with a Patreon, but honestly, like, I put so much stuff in there I can't keep up with it. I like to do the Astral Journal because that's fun to me and the tarot and the video stuff, the podcast, but then I got all this other stuff in there. I'm like, oof, I overdid myself. So... Trust me, if I change anything, I'll make sure that you're not losing any value. But I'm going to make something cool for everybody, too. That's the only way we're going to keep this show rolling, the Voidwalkers rolling, is we're going to do this energetic exchange where when you support the show, I give you something worth it. Not just worth it, not even equal, more, which will cause you to want to support more. See how that works? The show gets bigger, the void Walkers get bigger, and then we have a rave party in the desert somewhere that nobody hears about. Nobody. That's going to happen. That's coming. And I hope I get to see all of you there. We're going to rebel against the man. We're going to find a spot deep in the woods, somewhere deep in the desert. No one's going to know where it's at. We're going uh, to send out a special void Walker cipher so you can get the, the longs and lats. And we're going to connect. And you know what? If we get each other sick, we'll all be okay because most of us will be taking care of our immune systems anyways and we've all had pretty bad colds before. We might have to quarantine ourselves out there for a while though, right? So we might have to stay out there. So it might be like a party that we throw and then a two-week quarantine afterwards in the desert. So plan on staying in the desert for three weeks. Bring lots of water. I don't know, I'm just rambling now. I'm thinking about stuff we can do in the future. I, I, thought, I actually thought about that, because, you know, the only time I ever felt like I was part of a unified field is one time I was having a psychedelic experience at a rave party, and I stood up, you know how the DJ he gets up there, and he's like in between the, the uh, subwoofers, and usually if you're, it was an old school rave. We're talking old school, man, where people are still spinning vinyl. And they had these big subwoofers, and I remember like right in the throes of my trip, I think I was like two hours in, I stood on top of the subwoofer, and there were people dancing on it, and it was the size of a car, man, this thing was big, and you could just see like the way people were connecting and dancing, it literally looked like a wave of colored water, you know? And I wasn't tripping so hard where it's like, oh, wow, man, they just turned into water. No, like, I really saw the people. It's just, I think my brain tapped into the wavelength of what everybody was doing at the time. I didn't hallucinate. Or maybe I did, but in a different kind of way. Anyways, just go, just go, like, watch Alex Gray paintings. You'll see what I'm talking about. All right. We're going to break here. We're going to bring in our guest. We're going to get into this. So get your coffee. We're going down the rabbit hole. I'm Joe Roop. This is Lighting the Void. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Zion.
2: truth? Are UFOs real? Are aliens visiting Earth? Are governments around the world hiding the biggest secret in history? We're UFO Seekers, official partner of The Fringe FM, and we're on a hunt for the truth. Join us as we investigate locations like Area 51 by subscribing on YouTube at youtube.com slash UFO Seekers. Telepath
0: is a weekly digital newsletter filled with the latest paranormal news, trending topics, and fresh articles from some of the most popular critical thinkers in the community today. Stay informed on your favorite paranormal podcasts and live streaming talk
3: shows. Interact with the telepath and upload your paranormal story or pics. It could be featured in an upcoming edition. Sign up right now for the free telepath newsletter
1: at paranormal.radio.
5: That's this is paranormal paranormal Dan from Surviving radio. the System, and you're listening
1: to the fringe fm remember ladies and gentlemen the best revenge you're listening to ktlk
3: digital broadcasting the fringe fm hey fringe fm listeners did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or no wi-fi available you can still listen to every minute of the fringe fm by calling 701-719-3971 no smartphone app or internet needed Saves your data plan and no extra cost if you have unlimited minutes. Call 701 719 3971. That's 701 719 3971. Listen to The Fringe FM on any phone, anytime, anywhere.
1: This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting The Fringe FM.
3: Turn it a little bit and get that motor pop up.
5: This is the Rogi Report, news on the Fringe FM. I'm Jess Rogi. The iconic Arecibo telescope in Puerto Rico collapses before they could demolish it. Scientists and space nerds are mourning the collapse of the iconic radio telescope in Arecibo, Puerto Rico. The telescope collapsed Tuesday morning after showing signs of extreme weakness. The Arecibo telescope suffered major damages back in August when a cable broke. The Arecibo radio telescope was a crucial tool in understanding asteroid risks to Earth, and it would take a lot of money and initiative to replace. The Utah monolith rose to internet fame when it was discovered during a sheep count. Like Wildfire, the stories of the monolith riddled the internet, causing curious adventure seekers to make the trek out to the Utah desert to take a selfie. Once the adventure seekers have claimed their precious treasure, they return back to civilization. What those treasure-seeking selfie-takers didn't realize is this is natural land, and over the Thanksgiving holiday, hundreds of people made the trek to the remote area. The adventure-seekers parked on plants, flattening them, and also left human waste behind. The monolith has since been removed by Sylvan Christensen and Andy Lewis. They stated, We removed the Utah monolith because there are clear precedents for how we share and standardize the use of our public lands, natural wildlife, native plants, fresh water sources, and humans' impact upon them. So the best way to stop people from coming out there was to simply remove the monolith. Conspiracy theory, which was once considered a fringe topic, Has become more mainstream. How do you know if a conspiracy theory is true? According to DefenseOne.com, an AI tool can tell a conspiracy theory from a true conspiracy using machine learning tools to graph the elements and connections of the narrative. And according to the article, these tools could form the basis of an early warning system technology or alert authorities to online narratives that pose a threat in the real world. So kind of like an earthquake detector, there could be a conspiracy detector. Watch out, there's a conspiracy coming. This is the Rogi Report News on the Fringe FM. I'm Jess Rogi.
3: back to Lighting the Void. We're going to bring our guest on here with us, Mark Fiorentino. Hey, uh, Don't forget, go check out the altar box, the shop, lightingthevoid.com forward slash altar box, or go just check out the shop too. Make sure you support here. That's how we get this thing going. Getting close to Christmas time, so I'm going to be promoting a lot more. I think you should be too. Like, Go make that money. That way you can go buy people stuff, give it to them, and feel good. That's what it's all about. And I'm kind of excited to wait till uh, 2021 gets here and we're going to study this stuff more. All right. So let me bring on our guest here and quit rambling. Author Mark Fiorentino has been obsessed with Einstein's unified field theory ever since hearing about it when he was 10. He's worked uh, for many years in the high tech industry, including for IBM, and he shares his views on how the universe really works based on his study and research of Einstein's unified field theory and how these understandings also relate to consciousness, UFOs, and the alien tech, and information revealed, revealed in uh, near-death experiences. And I went to his website, which is super-relativity.com, and you can check out the, his book there. He's got the cover of it, Masters of Reality, and it goes right down the list. The Unified Field Theory Solution, what's the origin of mass, what are the primary forces of nature, all kinds of... This is like a book I really want to read. Um, so, yeah. I know we're going to enjoy this conversation. Thanks for coming on the broadcast, Mark. It's good to have you.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. I'm going to have a good time tonight,
3: I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like so we were talking uh during the break before I brought you on about like the kind of like the rant that I was doing like it is this whole thing about being open-minded, right? Like I there I think you can really start tapping into some type of theory that you can investigate for yourself if you stay open-minded but how do you measure up against uh, physicists like I was talking about like Tom Campbell these you know people they use big words all the time but we all have decent brains we just want to understand what they're talking about most of the time so when it comes to unified field theory and consciousness what led you to start studying this and putting those two together
0: well, uh, as you stated earlier, it started when I was very young, and uh, the uh, the nuns at the church who was teaching catechism, uh, you know, asked the students to go home and find a saint born on their birthday. And uh, there was no internet back in 1965, so I just kind of asked my parents, and then I, you know, was looking around. I looked at the calendar, this and you know, the calendar had birthdays on it for uh, famous people. And Einstein's birthday was on my birthday. So I, I didn't know who he was. So I went to an Encyclopedia Britannica and I read about him and was fascinated. And then I read uh, another article about the unified field theory. And when I read that, that just struck me. And I remember still to this day, I thought this is the best idea I have ever heard of. And I couldn't get it out of my head and I, st- I got a, a, a great interest in science and in an Einstein. And I just for fun, as a hobby, continue to read and study. And I would think everything that could possibly relate to the unified field theory, including how UFOs fly, because I figured they're using some sort of force. Uh, we had to establish what that force was. And that's what I did in my book when I, uh, which I should mention, I have the solution to the unified field theory in this book.
3: So like Bob Lazar's anti-gravity craft you think is something that you have you have actually figured out how they did that? Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, um, I don't, you know, Bob says a lot of stuff that um, I can't really relate to, uh, and I, I don't make a judgment on, on sure, yeah. what he's saying one way or the other. I just went with the facts and information that I got from reading UFO books, which they clearly indicate there's a high, uh, magnetic field strength in and around uh, the UFOs so much. So I remembered reading an article one time where they, uh, U- uh, the air force came with the, and they brought a magnometer, which is already an open emission. They know something. Why do you go to a, a a landing site and bring a magnetic field detector? Yeah, and uh, when they did, they they measured the grass, and the grass itself was magnetized where the UFO landed, and that struck me strong when I read that. I says this is important. You need to remember this. Magnetism has something to do with UFOs. And well,
3: see, okay, but if that's the but you know the theory of how, and I'm this is a theory, obviously it sounds sci-fi, but like people can like, controlling these craft with their minds and consciousness. When I heard someone talking about that, I thought, man, that is wackadoo. There's no way, right? But I'm gonna tell you something. When I got into studying consciousness in a practical way, and I know it doesn't really like relate to some people, but uh, like when say you know you like read the tarot or something, that's really not what people think it's the mirror of the moment you're co-creating to get an answer with consciousness, just like in the matrix, you know, when uh, the source or what the Oracle says, you know, don't worry about the vase. And he's like, what vase?" And he turns around and he's like, how'd you know I was going to break it? And then she goes, well, here's what a really baker noodle, would you have broke if I wouldn't have said anything? So essentially like that whole thing was about co-creating with source at the same time right. where it seems like it's divination, but you're, co-creating with something that you just don't know how to communicate with yet. So I'm wondering like, have they figured this out, um, with their consciousness? That's why they can, they figured it out to a perpetual sense where they can fly things, you know, stuff like that.
0: Um, I agree with you on the co-creation part. Um, I, I, definitely investigated NDEs to go to the source to get information for my book and my theory. Uh, and in one part of it, uh, I, I actually found an NDE, uh, report that helped me solve the, uh, inner workings of the atom and that gets a chapter in my book. Um, definitely we, uh, uh, human beings and other beings, uh, also co-create with the source God, Yeah. Uh, I'm a theist, so I believe that God created the universe, but he continues to work and guide people through many means with uh, guardian angels and so forth. There's a whole other world just out of reach, just out of sight, that's working with us. And uh, I I came across something many years ago. It's a song by James Taylor that happened the day I went and first found out with a medium that I had something special coming in my future. And the, the song went distant hands in foreign lands are turning hidden wheels, causing things to come about that no one seems to feel all invisible from where we stand. Yet the connections come to pass and all too hard to comprehend. They affect us. Nonetheless, this is true for everyone. This is how it works. And so, out of reach, out of mind, out of sight, uh, in a like a parallel dimension that we would call the afterlife, there are guardian angels and so forth, all helping us to co create here in this world and in this universe. And it's not just us, it's other beings on other worlds. There's millions and millions. The, the universe is teeming with life. We're just. Um, we just are in a blind spot right now we're hopefully about to
3: wake up yeah it's like the yeah. limited perception thing where we we yes. really start believing uh, the limitations that we, and don't understand what we don't see but i mean even yeah. if you look at particles yeah. in gravity there's there's quarks and what like leptons and i mean if you get into the science they call this stuff you know like uh, scalar bosons and tensor bosons and all the stuff that you're thinking like photons, like what, right? Well, where does all this stuff come from? Well, it's science. Well, it's co-created with spirit too. Um, right. I, I believe, I kind of believe in both, you know, like I, I do believe in both. I just think that we've just named them things like science is what we figured out and what we can name so far and spirituality is the stuff that we know deep down, like that quote you just said that you feel is so true because it's in your soul that, you know, it's true. It's intuitively there.
0: On my website, I have, uh, in my blog, I I give one particular instance from an NDE person who has talked to God, and God explains, I created the universe. I created the laws of physics. They're immutable. Uh, (laughs) And this is, many NDE people basically repeat that. The creator is now letting us know he's the source of everything. So it's, it is very much like you're saying, like uh, we're in like a matrix that the creator created and we're all parts of that. And God is yeah. um, aware of everything to every la to every atom and every human being and every planet, every knows about every grain of sand on every planet. It's they're all at the center of his attention. I say his, but, you know, it's a man, it's a woman, it's more than that. It's omnipresent. And uh, our reality is so much more than what we uh, perceive and what we think, you know, with scientists. It's very limited. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I love scientists, but I have to say science has its limitations. Scientists see their world in different ways as each discipline sees the world in part but not the whole. There are scientists that have spent their time here on Earth looking through a keyhole, the keyhole being the scientific method. They have spent their entire lives trying to widen that keyhole in order to see more and know more, and now I'm attempting to widen that keyhole by explaining that our reality comes from the Creator, who is the source of everything. Many scientists will, upon hearing that the keyhole can be widened by ways they can't even imagine, will quickly reject the possibility. I accept that many will do that. But that's the way it is. And if we got... We're we're heading toward the truth. So it may be a painful ride for some, but there are many open-minded scientists out there that will accept this.
3: Well, and you know what? I think eventually... They can fight it all day long. They can look for dark matter in the smallest particle of this or that all day long. <laughs> Eventually, they're yeah. going to have to be like, "All right, give us the money. We're going to have to explore consciousness. There's just, it's not physical. We're going to have to get down into something here." You know, yeah. like
0: well, there are some physicists I read about them all the time, but they're not taken as seriously or as as the mainstream particle theorists, who are the people basically that have the the, the weakest concepts and (laughs) the least likely to be correct ideas and I know that would make them upset but I'm sorry I don't mean to upset them but um, the interpretation of our reality is so bent backwards and wrong that that's what's holding them back basically quantum mechanics theory uh, field theory is really holding the world back and uh, we need to get back to classical physics like what Einstein and Maxwell did. These are the guys that really had it right. They just didn't quite get it finished. And uh, if Einstein had been born maybe 30 years later, he would have solved this problem. He was working on it. He just didn't know about the quarks. I had that information. I had the power of the internet behind me. I was able to work it out finish it up for him
3: yeah well that's fantastic so tell me then uh then i'm curious because you do go in, into this with your book like master of reality um which is master of reality it looks like uh it's a super relativity and unified field theory so we talked about unified field theory and what that is a little bit um but mass is something that you know einstein worked with quite a bit what's and you talk about the origin of it in your book is it are we totally off on this i mean have we been wrong the whole time
0: he wasn't but they are now they have no the the big mystery in physics is they have no idea the mechanics or the origin of mass or where gravity comes from they got many th- different theories and that's one indication that they're wrong because when you have five or six different explanations for mass Um, they're not all going to be right, and and probably none of them are going to be right. There should only be one explanation. And really, Einstein's basic idea of the unified field theory was clear-cut, simple, and it basically is this. Electromagnetism and gravity emerge as aspects of a single fundamental field. Once you've defined what that fundamental field is, and you start to understand it, then the model becomes clear. And they had it in, right way back in, in 1905 and before that with Lorenz and Einstein. It was the ether, but they abandoned the ether. And, and that's when things started to fall apart. And honestly, Einstein was part of that problem. Uh, he, for a while, abandoned it because of things that were going on, the experiments with Michelson-Morley experiment. He knew what the results were going to be. He was he was watching it, and I guess he was in communications with Michelson, or, or he had read some papers by him, and he knew that the null result was going to come. So he abandoned the ether, even though all of the information all the Lorenz transformations were based on an ether model
3: okay so here's the thing that here's my question though if uh, if Einstein was closer um I wonder about the double soot experiment all the time the particle mm. and the wave the observation of things it obviously shows co-creation right but Einstein didn't get to work with this too much, but it is something that he kind of like knew about already. He kind of taught, you know, I mean, he even called a lot of stuff what, uh, or maybe it would have been Isaac Newton, but it was Einstein where he said it was spooky action at a, at a
0: distance, right? Okay, that's the, that's the EPR experiment. Yeah. Double split double slit is a different one, but they both kind of helped to right. uh, establish quantum mechanics theory in the minds of many uh, uh, physicists those two experiments, Uh, but what they don't bother to mention a lot is that the double slit experiment can be easily explained with classical wave theory. They just choose not to use that as the explanation. They choose to go with the many variations uh, that don't make sense uh, that quantum mechanics uses. superposition and all that sort of thing uh, the photon is taking all paths at the same time and then when we <laughs> then when we observe it it chooses which path that's uh, not happening it's just but, so uh, I,
3: so you don't think I, that it's turned into a particle you think that it's just like a denser wave that's what they're really saying. Uh, uh,
0: particles are really very small waves they're geometric structures. And uh, that's oh, and what's happening in the double slit experiment, quite simply, is that you got the slit close enough to get the two slits close enough, and they're small enough. What happens is the photon actually goes through both slits. The main part goes through one, and the perimeter edge goes through the other, and so it self-interferes as it interacts with that, that structure and so you get the the interference pattern but if you move those slits far apart the uh, inter, uh, the interference pattern disappears if you make the slits too wide the interference pattern disappears so
3: but how did they not it, pick that up how come they don't talk about that that much then you know like they picked that up you, didn't they
0: you know that's the great mystery there's they're so they've been entranced s- s- seduced by quantum mechanics so strongly That, well, as Richard Feynman once said, if you're going to model reality, you better use quantum mechanics. And that's what's wrong. In a nutshell, that's what's wrong. Because he's completely wrong when he says that. If you're going to model reality, you better use classical physics. That's the whole crux of the problem here. (laughs) They're using the wrong model. And so... If they're gonna use the wrong model and try to force fit, you know, explanations in it to explain things, uh, this is why they're, they're struggling to unify gravity to um, the other forces. They haven't even, the standard model, the forces in there, two of them shouldn't be classified as forces, they should be classified only as interactions, really. There's three forces, and those are electrostatic, magnetic, and gravitational field. You unite those three forces, and you have achieved the unified field theory.
3: Interesting. Okay. So you're telling me that the particles, like a photon, or Mm -hmm. uh, even, well, I don't even want to get into, like, quarks and bosons and stuff like that. But these particles are essentially, like, dense geometrical light waves. Like-
0: they're, 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 this is, gets tricky, and, and this is you're, you're, you're right at the fundamental core of reality. That's what we're talking about right now. Uh, and w- Einstein argued that if one believed wholeheartedly in the basic idea of a field theory, matter should enter not as an interloper, but as an honest part of the field itself. So what I'm saying is particles are configurations of the ether. And what do I mean by that? I mean, those fields that, uh, like a an electron, let's take something simple, is a negative charge. A negative charge, in reality, is a twist of space and a spatial inversion that is turns, let's say, in a counterclockwise manner with the uh, fields of force going um, outwards. I'd have to check to make sure that's right, but just for the sake of argument, Uh, That's what's going on. So you've got a bending of the fundamental field, which is the ether. So all particles are nothing more than geometric persistent objects within space. And, And what I mean by persistent is they don't dissolve. They don't dissipate, which that clearly indicates that's evidence that what we're talking about here, what the ether is, since those particles are configurations of that fundamental field, uh, that means that fundamental field is a quasi-elastic solid. And that's what Lorenz said, and that's what Einstein eventually wound up believing in the end when he did general relativity. Um, uh, since the particles don't dissipate and you can't really destroy them and they smash them in particle accelerators and and they convert to or transform to other things and become unstable and and whatever uh, but they always go back to being um a certain set of stable fundamental particles okay and, uh, okay cool so what you about can't, then yeah so what you about like, annihilate them
3: standing wave theory essentially like that's all based on speed, right? So is that what kind of happened in the double slip, maybe? that it just got interfered with because of, uh, like, how standing wave theory works? You know, it talks about, well, like, the... It,
0: it, or, it's, you have to envision. See, when I think of that experiment, I envision what's happening. So I see this twisted field. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I have these little seashells here. If you get to, where it's pointy at the one end and it's winds and winds around and gets wider at the other end, it's a vortex shape, a spiral, a three-dimensional spiral. And when that field with all those lines of force encounters this other geometry, which is a physical geometry made of you know, uh, materials, uh, atoms, and so forth, with all their little fields organized in the shape of a, two slits. And uh, so, part of the the uh, let's say the photon goes through, or let's use electron, the electron goes through the outer perimeter. It's it's a it's a twist of space that is a gradient field. It's real strong at the center and then, you know, gradually softens and lessens in strength as it goes away from the center of the the vortex. So as it encounters those slits, that whole field feels and interacts with both slits, no matter which slit it goes through. And so there's an interaction, a refraction of that Particle as it's going through those slits, both slits, and that's what causes the interference pattern. It's just like uh, you know, waves in the ocean. If you, they go through a little channel and yeah. they disperse out into two little fields of 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 um, you know concentric, no, not concentric circles, but little circles as it comes out. I'd have to show you the picture. This, so, so, it, but it's uh, wave theory. Guess- it's wave. They're interfering with each other.
3: Right. So I guess my question would be in a different way is like, do you, uh, subscribe to a standing wave? Right. Because this is all about the amplitude and frequency and the, that, the, you know, the peak and the amplitude of a wave, like it's oscillating so mm-hmm. fast and so like it doesn't move really. And the only thing that like can stop it is if you cut off like the, I guess the, uh, equal amplitude or frequency of it, you know, then yeah, that I guess you could say it.
0: it's a standing wave as it moves through space. Uh, Certainly, you know, I would think that the there are standing waves and electrons in their orbitals. uh, You could experience or see that, but in actuality, that uh, those electrons are moving in uh, some elliptical manner, and that's how and that's the reason they're generating mass. Which I get into the book. I, I explain in high detail the mechanical reasons for the origin of mass there's like no doubt it becomes very clear and, and very simple to understand once you see the pattern and that's what I kept doing throughout my life I looked for patterns I look for patterns in the standard model it's, it's in there it's subtle the embedding is subtle but there's a clear pattern when it comes to mass and one of my happiest thoughts was the day that I realized that started me down the road to the unified field theory of, of one particular pa- particle that, that didn't generate mass. And it's an electromagnetic particle, it's the photon. And why do all the others have some bits of mass except for the neutrino, it has a very small mass. But the neutrino is very much like the photon. And the photon I figured it out one day. I remember sitting at the office looking at the standard model uh, chart, and I said, I know it. I understand it. Einstein kept saying that acceleration and gravity are the same thing, but he didn't know the mechanism that made it that way. And I realized that photons, when they go through space, pay attention to this, this is really (laughs) important. When the photons move through space, they move in a very specific way. They go in a straight line at a constant speed. And that means they don't accelerate. And that's the reason they don't generate mass. They are a balanced charge and balanced charges go in a straight line and they don't accelerate. All the other particles are unbalanced charges. And because they're unbalanced, either negative or positive, they have angular momentum. They travel in an accelerated motion. And accelerated motions, there's actually two types of motion. There's a the straight line, constant acceleration, is it called a uniform accelerated motion? And then there's a the uniform circular motion. Bang! that's the one I needed. That's an acceleration. Now I have the method, the mechanical method that explains math. As long as those particles move like that, whenever you accelerate, what happens is in in and around that particle, because it's accelerating, it's changing direction in this case, Um, that causes a contraction of space around those particles. And that is the unified field theory. As is the yeah, I, think, I like see what you're saying. Relativity.
3: Like, we yeah. that's how light bends, that's how matter bends, like, everything bends. And it, I'm, I'm starting to think how things are formed when you're saying that, right? As we observe it, um, yeah.
0: Well, that 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 bend, bending of space is what the unified field theory is all about. It's about particles in motion, and when a particle moves, uh, the It's very important how it moves. If it's a constant in a straight line, it's not going to cause a contraction. And that really comes from special relativity. If you look into the Lorentz transformations, there's a contraction of length formula. Um, And it does not apply to the photon because the photon isn't accelerating. Everything else that has mass is already accelerating. So if you accelerate that, those particles are gonna acquire more mass. The faster you go toward the speed of light, every particle in your spaceship is gonna become heavier and heavier, more, more and more massive. It's all about acceleration. So the equivalence principle was an incredibly important discovery he made. And it just needed that final connection. And that connection is that acceleration that particle's experience causes a contraction. So gravity is really a contraction of space. And that's that's the unified field theory according to super relativity. And it's just that simple. And I have a formula that I use in the book that can be used to describe how the neutron and the proton generate mass. It's through the accelerated motion of the three quarks that are inside both of those uh, particles has really you, has anybody simple.
3: been able to like test this in any form or put it in and test it at all like in any way like well, have you had anybody contact you about it to ask you questions so they can Because usually that's they,
0: why i'm on that sh- on this show and i'm working on my publicist is i need to get on some shows that are you know science related physicist shows I need yeah. to do those too I'm having a great time talking with all these shows, but... Um, yeah, you need to be at like, Big
3: Picture Science or even the SETI Institute, p- places like that, you can start with. You know, even I know if, that's if astrophysics, me, but that's still a part of it. Like, they would listen to you for sure. Well, I mean, well, okay, so... Yeah,
0: some of them will, but there's two things that make physicists cringe. One of them is uh, classical physics and the idea that particles have. A, a motion. They have a position. Uh, they, they don't like that. You know, quantum mechanics guys don't like any, you, they don't like you to think that way. And yeah. the other problem that I have with my theory, it's not a really problem. It's just the way it is. Uh, but uh, from the perspective of a, a quantum mechanics person is I believe in an intelligent design. And um, I'm quite certain it's right since God himself has told people many times during and NDEs, I don't question that anymore. And it makes sense. So those two things really make people cringe a bit. So there may be some scientists, that, and I have talked to physicists that were very open-minded and thanked me for bringing back classical physics. But uh, uh, that's a significant challenge that, that I have in the future, that I must at some point Get this and, and maybe in a some sort of a journal like Researchgate or something. yeah, i would be cool. One, I have one article there already uh, where I basically explained a bridging mechanism using special relativity. Uh, and I can add to that now for a general relativity version. And uh, so I think I will do that. but that's been and there's people reading it now, and I think it's because I'm being uh, on all these shows. And some of these people are saying, I wonder if he's on ResearchGate because I'm I'm getting all these hits there where I never, for years, (laughs) nobody was reading it. Uh, But now I'm getting a lot of uh, uh, views on ResearchGate for that one article uh, where I basically establish the speed at which the quarks must be moving at in order to generate the correct amount of uh, mass for the neutron and the proton. And it turns out it's ninety nine point. <laughs> it's over ninety nine percent the speed of light.
4: They're
0: okay, really so
3: fast. I was just fixing to ask you about that. Like the two biggest things we all think about is like how do we break the speed? How do we get to the speed of light or break it? Right. Mm-hmm. And then how do we defy gravity? Because if anybody sees UFOs, they've seen it happen, right? So I guess right. the biggest one would be like, can we break the the light speed of light? based on what you're saying it feels like 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 we can but in your book you talk about this thing called the slip wave bias drive tech right. you're gonna have to kind of can you explain that to me at all i don't want you to give the book away but man this stuff fascinates oh me, i don't you know.
0: care i mean there's so much in the book uh, i could talk for three hours and it's not going to cover everything and i'm not trying to hold anything back uh, these are good questions so I, I feel free to ask whatever you want yeah, the slipway bias drive, anti-gravity turns out to be quite simple. Once you understand the the real, true unified field theory, and you understand, like I just said before, gravity is a contraction. What then is anti-gravity? I'll ask you.
3: Uh, expansion, wouldn't it be? Exactly right. Yeah, you're one hundred percent right.
0: Uh, uh, gravity, uh, anti-gravity has to be in the expansion of space. So then I went about the task of figuring out how we could create an expansion of space. So I already have another clue that I got from UFO books that have been stored in my head for years. Magnetism, in some way, shape, or form, causes an expansion of space. So I studied magnetism, and I found out that magnetism really only happens when charges move, Like electrons. Yeah. And so that's two thirds of the unified field theory right now. You have to have moving charge in order to create magnetism. So, um, if in fact uh, a charge moves, it's a twist. So, as it goes by, the space is all twisted and it's getting more and more twisted as it goes by the the angle of uh, movement of the rotation of the spiral gets greater and greater and this is happening in three dimensions, that means as it passes by, the magnetic field emerges because space rotates as a reaction to that twisted moving charge. So the space around that charge rotates in response to that. That's the magnetic field. And when you rotate something, just imagine if you're a kid playing with silly putty and you smack it down on a comic strip book, and you're looking at the picture, and then you twist the Silly Putty. Oh, my God, it's crazy. That?
3: I was just fixing to ask you, like, well, you got to think about the kind of energy it would take to do that first, right? I mean, it's, it's already in nature anyways, but I do wonder where it generates from a lot of the times. And secondly, like, what w- that would really, like, mess up mass, you know? And if you mess up mass like that, that wouldn't it, like, perpetuate? Wouldn't it cause a ripple effect? I don't know, like... Maybe not.
0: I don't know. Well, no. The the magnetic field, um, as it rotates around the object that's moving, the charge, that rotation is a stretching of space. And that's where you get the expansion. So now I have a sensible explanation for how to create anti-gravity. I, I just put it into, I just have a huge amount of electrons running through wire, making a strong magnetic field. The strong magnetic field causes space to rotate uh, very strongly. That rotation causes a, a stretching and expansion of the space. So, there should be people that have detected I fixing that. fixing
3: to ask that you happening. that. Like, if it's that simple, we should know about <laughs> yeah. this right, like we right now. We should have
0: discovered this or known about it or at least for 50 years now. But it's been suppressed. This is where we get into the uh, the conspiracy theory stuff. Yeah. Uh, Eugene Pokhlenov was the first one to discover that. Uh, he was doing some experiments in his lab having to do with superconductors that had magnets under them, and they're spinning Rapidly, and I think the the spinning motion enhances this stretching effect. And he noticed that things suspended above that apparatus seemed well, to yeah. weigh less. Yeah. They weighed like two percent less. Um, and then he tried to do write up a report the in a um, in a journal. It got leaked out, and the press ripped him. The press, but somebody behind the press ripped him up to pieces before he could get it out there. Yeah, he like, retracted, be- yeah, probably he lost wigged him out. Job. <laughs> and a lot of bad things happened to him. Um, and then there was, I think her name was Ling Ni, another person here in the United States who, doing the same kind of experiment, noticed the decrease in mass or weight of objects suspended above the same rotating magnetic field structure that they built and she tried to write it up and she did. And, um, the next thing you know, she got $500,000 in her bank account to do this special research, but then she did not write any more documents anymore. She went silent and we never heard from her again. She's out there. She's alive. She didn't disappear, but she was just, she got some money and you know, it died.
3: So essentially, if you expand space even a little bit, you can create the you can create anti gravity. because like, people wonder about where do they get the force and the speed. And I'm like, man, if you can expand space, you can get all the force and speed that you want. You know, you probably don't well, even now, have to do it that much.
0: Now that you know how that it causes an expansion of space, the slip wave actually is a discovery about when I analyzed how photons and electrons, how all particles have perpetual motion. Um, Remember that electrostatic fields are twists of space. So you start at one end, it's zero degrees, one degree, two degrees, as as it's rotating in three dimensions. Uh, The more you do that, the less dense it becomes at the back end. And that lack of density causes a pressure wave, a pressure field. And pressure is what you need to have motion. So the motion of a particle comes from its um, structure. And so what you have is a, a decrease in density as it goes, as it rotates more and more. And uh, less density, higher tension, um, you have l- less pressure, uh, except that the space around that is higher pressure. And so you get a, like a pushing motion. That's the slip wave. So it has a velocity. It's going in a particular direction with a high velocity. And uh, so all particles have this twisted structure and it's that structure that creates the pressure wave within the particle and uh, i could give you an example uh, many examples of how pressure causes motion pressure causes the wind the pressure differences in the high and low pressure systems causes wind to blow pressure in a hose uh, pressure, water pressure in a hose causes the water yeah, to move.
3: That's exactly what I was uh, thinking because you're creating a force, you're creating pressure, you're creating a. Like when you, this just, is a, yeah, it's a fundamental
0: law of physics, and I can go on. Pressure in the airplane wings causes it to have lift over and over again. Wherever you got motion, so there's going to be some sort of pressure difference, and that's what's needed to cause motion, and that's what causes the perpetual motion of all particles everywhere. And it's just right. It's just what we need to bring the universe to life. Uh, As Einstein once said, nothing happens unless something moves. So now that's the slip wave. Uh, And what we got to do is reproduce that for uh, interstellar spacecraft. And it's remarkably easy to do once you have the correct model. So all you got to do is uh, You've probably noticed that motherships are usually cigar shaped. Have you heard Oh
3: yeah. Well, that? like like Amuamua was for sure. You know? Yeah. But yeah. Motherships are cigar shaped too. Yeah.
0: Well there's there's a reason for that geometry. And I said, why are they always cigar shaped like this? And there's gotta be something to do with their geometry. It must be the right shape for 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 the uh, anti-gravity field. And then I figured, wow, it's easy now that I know that I need a pressure field, a gradient pressure field. So all you do is you have that cigar shape and within the whole of the the cigar shaped craft, you have a series of concentric uh, coils uh, that are conducting great, great amounts of electric current. And uh, so you start at one end and you have a certain amount of, let's say, let's say a uh, hundred, uh, let's say a thousand, no, a hundred megawatts. Then we go, the next one is 110 megawatts. Then the next one going toward the back of the ship now is 130 megawatts. And then the final coil at the rear end of the ship is 250 megawatts. So what you do is you cause the gradient magnetic field to occur, which gives that ship a velocity and a direction. So you have propulsion now. You don't just have anti-gravity because the magnetic fields are canceling the gravity underneath the ship because they're so dense and they're so powerful. The gravitational contraction is counteracted by the expansion caused by the intense magnetic fields. This is all logical. This all makes sense. And it's, it's really fairly simple. It doesn't take really a genius to figure all this out. It just takes somebody with an open mind and ability to spot the patterns in nature to figure this out. It's all been worked out and it's all in the book. So now we have a way to uh, propel the ship, but you're probably wondering now, well, how the heck do I break the light speed barrier? That would be the next question.
3: Well, first, actually, before you answer that, I'm wondering like, okay so they already figured out how to levitate and move small objects with just photons so are are they pushing the photon particles so fast under the object that it moves and, oh and yeah levitates that, that's
0: uh that's like ion propulsion
3: that's different
0: that's, yeah that's pretty crude that's using newton's laws basically uh for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So, yeah, it's just like if you're going to use some sort of particle or whatever to, uh, and you can uh, use particles like photons that they can, in outer space, you can have a big sail and the pressure, the pressure of the photons hitting the sail will cause it to move. That's that's different. That's actually kind of crude. Um 're not just
3: like basic that. yeah it's just like basic uh, yeah fundamentals that's, that's, of physics yeah yeah so okay yeah, there's nothing uh, there's nothing unusual
0: in that not, nothing mysterious makes sense uh, but that's not going to be an effective way ion propulsion is old school we got to get away from that and we will and I'm sure that the government already has UFOs and the technology they they've probably got it from the crash ships. Uh, that they've recovered and reverse engineered, so they probably the physicists that work for the government that are sworn to secrecy probably know every bit of what I'm saying now already, or most of it. I don't see how they couldn't come up with it, and <laughs> maybe they could somehow. I don't know, but you'd well, have how to are they going to create
3: like you know a velocity and like maximum velocity stuff like that with it too? Like we, you've seen how fast these things are moving, like some oh, of these yeah. things. So like I get what yeah. you're saying. Um,
0: well, the pr- the pressure wave gives them the velocity. Now, the big question becomes, well, how do we break the light speed barrier right. using this technology? And once again, you had, just have to go back to old classic uh, classical physics. And a man named a uh, Scottish physicist, James Clerk Maxwell wrote a simple equation that define the speed of light. And in that is another clue. C equals the speed of light equals one over the square root of permittivity times permeability. To me, that's one of the most important equations that was ever written and ever discovered because that's modeling something. That's modeling or describing what is holding back the speed of light. Permittivity and permeability, these are properties of space. They're considered constants. Uh, But what we will learn is that they're not really constant. So the speed of light really isn't constant either. And uh, as masters of reality, once we know this, we know that we can adjust the speed of light by reducing permittivity and permeability. So how do we do that? Well, we already know that the speed of light, and another clue coming up, the speed of light slows down in a gravitational field. A gravitational field is a contraction of space. So that means that the permittivity and permeability are increasing in that situation. So we already know for a fact, a surefire fact, that speed of light slows down in the gravitational field. It slows down anytime time it hits a denser medium. So how then do we um, make it go faster? We decrease the density of the medium. And we do that by causing it to stretch. And what we do to stretch space, we use a magnetic field. So we get a bonus (laughs) by stretching space using the magnetic field because we're going to change both the permittivity and permeability within the slip wave, that field that's surrounding and going through the ship, it cannot be shielded, this particular field. The magnetic field can, which is important, because you don't want to expose living beings to the intense magnetic fields that are, are caused by the, uh, the coils and, the, and the, the design of the spaceship. So it's very, it's, a, it's perfect, because we can shield from the magnetic field, but we won't shield from the density field, that's the field that we need to the pressure wave field to permeate everything in the spacecraft, the people, and everything, and create basically a bubble in space, a, yeah. an expansion, a bubble. So, it's that some kind of
3: dampener or rules, something. Yeah. Yeah. The rules of space change
0: within that field, within that slip wave field, so that we're reducing the actual physical distance between the metric of space is changing as well by decreasing its density there's less stuff between any two points a and b if you measure the length uh, in flat space there's a, a lot of substance the ether between that if we stretch space and we decline it we make it less it'll go faster from points a and b and that can be Determined with a simple equation, distance equals rate times time. If I reduce the actual physical distance between any two points A and B, the speed of light will increase. So reducing the permittivity and permeability does that. Uh, These are the things that are holding light back uh, if you reduce them. And and there's evidence that we can do this. It's, It's in things called metamaterials. Have you ever heard of metamaterials?
3: Yes. Yeah, yeah, but uh, like reducing the, the distance of something without actually like bending space in that kind of way. I mean,
0: well, you're you're bending space.
3: You yeah, are, that's what I was thinking. Like, it's, okay, it's
0: a type of bending. It's the expansion of space, and if you expand it, you reduce its density, and so there's less space. Uh, you know, if you're right. using a rigid object like a meter stick and you hit it with a, you know, surround it with a strong magnetic field, the density between the, you know, the A and B, let's say point A is on one end and point B is on the other, and you shoot a light beam across that with the strong magnetic field, it's actually going to get there faster than when you remove the magnetic field. And I propose that experiment in my book. And they're trying to do that experiment, but quantum mechanics says that experiment should deter, uh, should the the light beam should slow down. And they've been doing that experiment for 50 years. And you know what happens?
3: Does,
4: they can't
0: confirm quantum mechanics prediction. It doesn't slow down. It doesn't slow
3: down, that's what I was thinking too. So
0: <laughs> But they don't want to say that. You know, if you go to this this website that I go to and I talk about it in the book, I've I've written them and I asked them specifically. Have you noticed that maybe the speed of light is is increasing? And then I get a very structured email back saying, "Well, we 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 believe that the speed of light is constant. That is how we base this experiment. So all they will say is that the speed of light didn't slow down, but they won't say that it sped up. And one group uh, years earlier." said that the birefringence measurement was negative, which implies that it, the, there's two waves that split. Uh, as a beam of light goes through a magnetic field, it's birefringent, it, it's bending, it, it's, it's two refractions that happen. And there's the long wave and the, the how do they call it? Uh, there's the one wave, the original wave, and the, oh, I can't think of the name of the other wave, but uh, the longer wave and uh, extraordinary wave, Uh, ordinary and extraordinary. And uh, the extraordinary wave is supposed to go slower because it's taking a longer length to travel. But uh, in certain circumstances, it it could be negative. And if it's negative, that means that the speed of light is actually increasing and that doesn't make sense to them. They tried to, to write up that report but then abandon it because they knew they would say they would be criticized. It doesn't agree with quantum mechanics, and it doesn't agree with special relativity. And so they abandon that. So there's another cover-up that's going on. They keep doing this experiment. It keeps failing to to uh, confirm quantum mechanics prediction. And And what they do is they say it's not sensitive enough. They tear the experiment down and redo it. And they've been doing this for years so my hopes that they would you know snap out of it uh is very sh- doubtful because well there's a whole controversy with how they measure the speed of light now they actually don't and there's another controversy there they're so stuck on the idea that the speed of light is constant um that they um they've changed the way they measure it because over the years they discovered actually this is very interesting. Uh, Barry Setterfield was the man who discovered this, that the speed of light is actually slowing down over the years. And um well, the the, the the, traditional you know, scientists didn't This like is that.
3: this is what perplexes me because I mean if the speed of uh, so if the speed of light isn't a constant, right? Like it's speeding up, slowing down, whatever. It doesn't have a right. constant velocity or whatever, uh, a constant speed. Then how did Einstein use it in his theories of it, like in his formulas for energy and all, and mass and all this stuff? Like, how do, how does it even compute in that sense? I wonder.
0: Well, um, what bamboozled everybody? It really shook them up was that the the Michelson-Morley experiment that was going to determine the ether wind if it existed or not as the earth's motion through space, uh, what they they uh, realized was happening but they didn't fully understand the meaning of it is that particles of light always go at the same speed and they're independent of the motion of the source that emits them. So like if I'm on, let's say I'm uh, holding a flashlight and I'm on a train and I shine the flashlight on the wall that's going in the forward direction, the speed of light won't be the speed of the train plus the speed of light. It'll just be the speed of light. And vice versa, if I shine the light the other way, the speed of light won't be the speed of light minus the speed of the train it will be the constant rate that the speed of light goes and that's so it's not defined
3: by relative to anything else it's just the it's, speed of light
0: right and and that and that's key to understand what's really happening is the speed of light the motion of light is completely determined internally to the particle and it's based on a motion relative to the absolute stationary motion of the ether. So it it cares not and is not affected at all by any other motions of anything, you know, like in the flashlight example, it doesn't matter because it's going to come out of that flashlight at at that particular rate, no matter which direction you're going, no matter what motion it is. And that wrecked that experiment because they didn't really realize that. They didn't really understand that. And they didn't understand the the cause of the motion of the photon, and, and they still don't understand it today. So that's one of my breakthroughs. I'm saying that the particle's motion is completely determined by its structure, and it's internal, it's not external. If a photon were to have its motion like a bullet, so a bullet has motion, but it acquires its motion from external force so if you put it in a cartridge and you shoot the gun and the g- gases expand in the cartridge right, yeah. and push that motion is not independent of the source uh it will slow down and speed up versus uh and, and be added to or No, oh, yeah
3: well on. you have gravity then it dep- you've got you know the you got all kinds of stuff that affect it yeah, what is like the coriolis effect player, and all that stuff too um
0: Right. Yeah. If you're a football player and you throw the football down the field and you're running at five miles an hour and you throw the football at 20, the football will be traveling at 25 miles per hour. Right. Uh, but for photons, it doesn't matter how fast you're running down the field. The Once it shoots out of uh, your flashlight as you're running, it's going to go at the speed of light, Not a not a drop faster.
3: That's interesting. Yeah. That's I mean, we've done that our whole rectum. life, but we don't really notice it with the flashlights and stuff, you know, but we don't right. think about it. Yeah, like we throw pennies out and stuff, but light doesn't do change at all. Yeah. yeah. The, the so. speed
0: of light is an extreme thing. And uh, once they come to realize that the motion of particles really comes from their structure and, and their internal pressure waves, that's, that's really a big breakthrough. There's many big breakthroughs in, in my book, and, and that's certainly one of them. And it explains the Michelson-Morley experiment. And so not discovering the ether when using that experiment means nothing. It doesn't mean the ether doesn't exist. It just means you used the wrong – the design of the experiment was wrong. Uh, and there's other experiments you could prob- that you could use to determine that there's an ether, many of them actually. But then we have the interpretation problems that we get. From yeah, because
3: anybody that talks about the ether, you know, like is going to say, you're going to, they're going to say, well, you're a witch. The witches talk about That's the ether. That's right. You, you know? got it.
0: You you hit it exactly right. You, yeah. you got, you know, your stuff. Yes. That's exactly what's going to happen. It's a taboo. Right. That word is a taboo. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to talk about it. And if you say it, to, believe me, they've called me names before. Yeah. The, the, the physicists who are not confident, self-assured. You talk to the people like some of these guys on TV, you know, Kaku and, and, and some of these other guys, uh, Tyson, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, they're calm. I think they'll, they'll be open-minded and listen, and I'm hoping someday I get the chance to converse with some of these guys and talk about this stuff because there's loads of evidence for the ether. I mean loads of it. Uh, I fill up a book with evidence proving the existence in the ether. And the ether is basically the most important concept in nature because everything is comes from it. All particles, all mass, all all energy are are configurations of that stuff. Without the ether there's nothing. So
3: you know what man like i think um what we need to do even though i love um i love talking about this so much so much um we need to give our brains a little bit of a break i already skipped one break um but but i did that because I, i i don't know like i get so into this conversation man because i know there's some real reality here that just needs to be explored um What we'll do, too, is like when we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. If any of you guys got any questions about this for our guest, we'll be right back. We're going to take a, a short break here. Stay with us. More Lighting the Void coming up.
1: Hey, this is No Way Jose, a Northern California Piscean stuck in the Arizona desert. I'm a void walker, and I got the shoes to prove it. So what do I do when my soul yearns to delve deep into the realm of the unknown? I aim my satellite straight into the night sky and catch a smooth ride on the KTLKDB radio waves. I tune in to Lighting the Void with Joe Root on the French FM. Joe, Lighting the Void is the best show on the planet. This is Barney, your friend from Facebook. Thank you and all the crew for all you do. Namaste, my friend. This is Macon from the Foothills, North Carolina, and I am a boardwalker. walker. G'day, Void Walkers. This is Lily from down under Australia. The world may be small, but Nick is greater. So let your curiosity
3: take you through a journey
1: with Joe Root. Hey, this is V, coming in from Central Maryland, and I am a Void Walker. This is Kevin
5: Doherty, a beginner Void Walker. I'm from Vancouver, BC. I know a little about a lot, and you know, as Leonard King said, I guess the rest. I learned a lot from uh, Mr. Rupe from the show and I uh, heard it from the beginning. I knew right then he was going to be a new hey, art bell. Thanks for all your shows uh, and keep it up.
1: Hey, this is Derek from Mass, a.k.a. The Night Stalker, and I'm a void walker. This is Mark from Chicago, and I walk the void to ascertain what is consciousness. My
6: name is Jared Johnson, and I'm from
1: Humboldt County, California. I do not know all the answers to the questions about reality. I do not claim to know the ultimate truth about life. I seek that which has been made hidden as a part of a family of explorers of consciousness. I'm a void walker. Thanks, Jaru.
2: This is Barbara Charlton from Metaphorical Archaeology. If you've ever had a traumatic paranormal experience, the effects of it may stay with you for years. Uh, who do you talk to? You can't go to conventional help. What we do is we use emotional freedom techniques or tapping to actually neutralize the effects of that event. Maybe when you tell the story now, your heart races and your palms get sweaty. You don't even want to think about it because you don't know how to neutralize that. That's what EFT tapping does does. It neutralizes those emotions. The circuit that that was recorded on is gone. The energy flows freely and you're free of it. And that's what emotional freedom is all about. We offer this as a pro bono service, but this is something that I offer because no one, it seems, is helping people with these experiences. If you'd like to reach me, it's really easy. My cell phone is 214-995-3754. Please leave a message. I will get back to you as quickly as possible. Or you you can email me barb.eft at gmail.com. And EFT stands for Emotional Freedom Techniques. Reach out to me, it's confidential. This works. You won't believe the results.
1: Have you heard of heavy metals? Yeah! I'm not talking about the heavy metals in the junkyard. I'm talking about the heavy metals that build up in your body. Heavy metals in your body can make you feel sluggish, fatigued, and just plain off. Why not try Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com? Cleansing your body and making you feel great. (sighs) Cleansing the inside of your body of intruders that sneak their way into you and set up an intruder camp. Life Change Tea helps remove unwanted intruder camps. Brew it. Keep it and drink in the results. Tastes great so you can create a new health habit. Our tea loves to help people. It just needs the chance. So order yours today by logging on to getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. Our Life Change Super Strength Tea is waiting. This could be a beautiful relationship. Take charge of your health. Order at getthetea.com. That's getthetea.com. The Fringe FM isn't just a radio station. We also provide services for all your audio production needs. If you are interested in live radio or pre-recorded podcasts, we're here to help. We even do audio enhancements and voiceovers if needed. If you want to do a podcast or live radio show and even want the option to syndicate on terrestrial radio from simple audio file enhancement to live production and call screening, we have you covered. We have worked with some of the best professionals in the business in order to provide coaching instruction for content creation, show structure, and more. Contact The Fringe Digital Media for more at info at the That's info at thefringe.fm. Or call 501-777-5631 for a consultation. to Joe and lighting the void here on the fringe FM.
6: Hey, this is Amalia from Know the Self Mystery School. I know that you are in the midst of massive change. We all are. This is the great turning, the time that we all decided to be here on the planet. Do you know why you came here to be a part of this crazy time? If not, I invite you to join my mystery school. I have a nine-week course called Activate Your Mission. And in this course, you're going to learn how to erect crystal clear boundaries so that you can hear that inner still voice that's going to guide your every Even if you're dealing with feeling weighed down by obligation and being enslaved to the system, this course is going to give you the tools you need to illuminate your shadow and awaken to your soul's mission. The moment you sign up to the school, you are going to be greeted by not only a group of soulful spiritual lawyers, but you're also going to get some massive karmic clearings and you're going to feel the energy that's palpable. I hope you'll join me in the school where together we're going to unlock your divine mission.
3: Activate your mission by going to thefringe.fm forward slash soulmission and put in the code word fringe and receive $50 off today. This is Dave Cruz, host of Beyond the Strange Radio, and you're listening to KPLK, The Fringe FM. Back to lighting the void. Our guest tonight, Mark Fiorentino. we down the rabbit hole of his book and his theories on well, lots of stuff, right? Yeah. The secrets everything. of the universe. Just about everything in physics, unified field theory, relativity. We've talked about the speed of light. We've talked about anti-gravity. So I want to get to some of the big questions, too. If you want to drop in a question here during the show with what time we got left, you can call in at 1-800-588-0335. That's the call-in number. It's toll-free from the United States or Canada if you want to ask our guests a question. Uh, And uh, we'll also go into the chat, too. So this, uh, there is a lot that we could talk about with this, right, I'm sure. um, I think one of the biggest things... I guess more of the semantics that I would like to ask, we kind of talked about this before we came on is I'm thinking about all this stuff, but I'm, I'm thinking about, and I asked it earlier too, like, where would we get this kind of power from? I mean, cold fusion would work, but we I mean, wouldn't we need something like massive to generate power for all this stuff? You know, um, I don't know.
0: I I have ideas about how to generate the, the power and, <clears throat> I do know that there's people that have achieved and have patented um, power generating devices that power companies have bought and held. And these, according to the insider that I talked to, I won't say any more than that, this person confirmed that if these patents were used, would change the course of history but they can't use those patents because um, then the power companies uh, would ha- not need to use um, fuel to, or some sort of system like that to power. You know, to provide power. You could basically build a system and have your own power. And uh, of course, they don't want that. Uh, so I do know that there's some designs out there, and I've studied some designs that I'm not going to give any details to tonight uh, because they're still working on it. And uh, at some point, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to maybe get with these people who are working on these things, and I'm sure that the UFOs use a some sort of a perpetual motion power generating scheme uh, to... Um, to acquire the necessary power to uh, drive the ships. And uh, I'm sure it's a very rapidly rotating device, uh, high speed, rapid rotation system that generates huge amounts of voltage and current. Uh, That's basically what's needed to come up with a reliable system. Now, I've heard some reports that, that the People have used our government, U.S. Air Force, small nuclear reactors. This is an unsafe method. And, um, you know, I don't know how that the the people uh, could survive living in close proximity to a nuclear reactor inside of the spaceship. I doubt that those designs are, are, are used any longer. I think they've probably switched over to a, some reverse-engineered system that the aliens have come up with. Uh, but um, that doesn't require nuclear fusion or nuclear uh, fission to generate the necessary power. Uh, it's an interesting area, but definitely that's a problem that needs to be solved uh, for for us to do if we're going to commercially build hovercraft and stuff
3: yeah yeah yeah, seriously Uh, um so here's the thing i want to get to some of the big questions you talk about in your book right so the based on all of this then god created the universe how because i like to think about that stuff too you know like Mm -hmm. some people think that's a crazy question like why would you ever ask that but not to me like i think it it was meant to be understood you know
0: hmm uh well i basically it's a one-line sentence in my book god created the universe through the power of intention
3: that's it right that makes total sense to me too because there's a lot of energy just in our intention so can you imagine the creator's intention you know
0: yes well the, the god is the universe uh god uh, you know, it's you could basically say it's a sort of a, a living extension of God, a consciousness of God, and that all of this is really some sort of a manifestation of a, a physical expression and intention of consciousness that constructs a, a particular universe that has, you know, properties and physical. Uh, properties and attributes that uh, are completely maintained by the source, the creator. Uh, Something that's difficult for us limited human beings in the physical form to fully grasp. But when you get to the other side, it becomes a really simple to easy to understand uh, thing because you're reconnected to that. Ultimate power and consciousness, and everything you have a question about is answered instantly, uh, telepathically. And um, the key, the key here for me and for everyone uh, on this whole theory thing is that you know this. We all knew this before we were born. So what I've tried to do is basically remember what something I already knew, and when you hear it and you understand it. It makes perfect sense, and what's happening is you're remembering.
3: I believe what you that too. Already knew. Yeah, because you yeah. come from you come from it, so inherently you know yeah. already, right? right? I right. also think that we create stuff that we that we bring down from the universe too, like you know,
0: absolutely, if you, yeah. Inspiration, if
3: you at, right? I mean, if you look at fiber optics, people look at fiber optics and say that that was a creation of humanity. Well. What if it's just a microcosmic creation of what's happening in our soul, in our universal systems? You know, light it gets transferred, like all of creation gets transferred through light. It programs everything, basically. So down here in a microcosmic form, we've created through our understandings of light and fiber optics, and we transfer information in a small way called on the Internet. But the universe is working in that way, too. So it's like greater consciousness... Um, everything is just like a smaller or fractal form of a bigger fundamental natural truth that's going on in the universe. You know,
0: right, right, yeah.
3: It's pretty trippy stuff, right? I would
0: agree with that. Yeah, I think co-create.
3: I got to ask you this though, because this is right on the front page of your website, and there, I wouldn't be a void walker if I didn't ask this question. Question fourteen: What is the stellar converter? That alone would make me want to buy the book. The stellar <laughs> converter, right? Uh,
0: yeah, that I I invented that. Uh, it really uses the slipway bias drive technology. It uses uh, the stellar converter. I invented to solve a problem that's going to happen in the future to the whole universe. Uh, in my research, I discovered that the universe really isn't expanding. It's collapsing. And it's already in a well along advanced state of collapsing. And so what the earlier astronomers mistakenly saw as expansion of the universe at the uh, farther and farther away from us, that it is really not happening the acceleration of galaxies as they go away from us is happening because they're really falling towards something very large. And so uh, I realized and was able to confirm with other astronomers that there are massive black holes scattered all throughout the universe. Yeah. And yeah. galaxy groups are falling toward them. Our group, Uh, The uh, Lenakia group is falling. There's hundreds of galaxies in our group, including the Milky Way and Andromeda. We're all falling toward the great attractor. And when we get there, it's going to be good night, Vienna. It's over. And And it's good that it's, you know, several billion years from now. So there's no urgent need. But in the end, that's what's going to happen to the whole universe so i invented the stellar converter as a way for mankind or or being kind to uh, avert uh, the big crunch and so what the stellar converter is it's basically like a picture a straw um, a shape the cylinder shape uh, with concentric rings of the magnetic coils they drop down into the poles of a black hole and a black hole, according to my theory, is nothing but a super dense neutronium star. And um, so as they drop down to the poles, which is the least rapidly moving spot, you wouldn't want to put them on the equator part because then you'd be shooting beams of particles out, killer death rays, you know, all over (laughs) the universe. You want to just confine it to one, just one direction. So these things drop down, and since they have anti-gravity field, the crushing gravity of the uh, black holes neutralize. So these things can just float down, contact the surface of the neutronium sphere that is at the center underneath the event horizon. And once that magnetic field touches that neutronium material, uh, the gravity that's holding it together is now not holding it together and it just catapults the the particle beams will catapult out of both ends of the neutronium sphere out into space at uh, initially at a faster than light speed and then slow down once they clear the coil system and what you do is you basically drain the black hole till it becomes a neutron just a regular neutron star and you can continue to drain it and uh, what comes out of it is uh, neutron particles.
3: you're starting to so, make the black hole sound like the bottom part of a colon. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, well, well you know, just saying. the whole part you want a stellar converter, I'm converting the black hole back into stars. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a, another clue that I noticed. I got suspicious, which caused me to generate the whole cosmology theory Uh, based on Neutronium, uh, is that if you isolate a Neutron, it's unstable. Within 15 minutes or so, it becomes a Proton and an Electron. And that's very significant, because what's a Proton and an Electron? It's Hydrogen. And Hydrogen is just what we need to make stars. It's the fuel of the stars. So. By using this device, I can convert the whole uh, neutron or black hole back into a, um, you know, uh, a hydrogen cloud, which then can be uh, used to build new stars. And the important thing is, if we did this to the great attractor, then... uh, It would be drained by the time we got there, assuming we can do this in some reasonable amount of time. I don't know. It might take billions of years to drain one of these things. Yeah. Uh, But when we got there, there wouldn't be any black hole to suck our galaxy into and destroy it. It would be gone. We'd just drift right through it and continue on. But then there's a downside uh, to doing that because – this is an unnatural solution to the Big Bang and the Big Crunch. The Big Bang and the Big Crunch, is, the Big Crunch is a cyclic thing. It's been going on eternally for all times. And there's evidence that there was other Big Bangs before this one that we're experiencing now. Well, uh, I think they detected something in the microwave background. Whether they, they cosmic microwave, yeah, yeah, the microwave, microwave background.
3: Yeah, that's interesting too. So, but here's the thing, like we have to, uh, get out of here. So I really want everybody to go check out your website. Um, that's super hyphen reality.com. That's the website. And you to go to, I'll put the links, uh, as well. in the, uh, uh, the archive too. the name of your book is master of reality. Right. And, uh, I really dig the cover too. I, I dig everything this book is about actually. And, um, I'll have to say Thank this and you. then I'll let you plug anything else you want to plug. It's like, I find people that work in computers and and go and computer systems and analysts like you are like some of the most interesting people to talk to. Laird Scranton being one of the biggest because he used his you know analytic um, skills to decode Dogon symbology and really got you know is like one of the best at it. So we need more analysts looking at all this stuff. Actually, so I'm yeah, I just wanted to give you a little props there on that. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, uh, I'll just go out and get the book and, and do the experiments in the last chapter of the book to prove the theory of super relativity and anti-gravity. Do those experiments. And if you know a physicist, send them my way. I'd like to talk to him.
3: Right on. I actually might do that. I'm going to try to. I'll contact uh, Thomas Campbell, see if he'll talk to you. That'd be cool. Oh, that would be great. I yeah. I
0: really appreciate that.
3: Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for coming on the broadcast again. It was good having you here. Thanks. All right, guys, make sure you go check out the website, super-relativity.com. Stay tuned for The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable coming up next. We'll be back tomorrow night, same time, same channel, right here live on The Fringe FM. Good night, y'all.